Good morning. What great worship, huh? Well, I have some good news for you today, and I have some bad news. The bad news is I can no longer, at least for today, make fun of Pastor Matt because he's getting a little sensitive about it, him and his big ears. And the good news is my sermon is pretty, my sermon is pretty short today. So there you go. You'll be able to eat lunch soon. <laughs> I think that was my car. Thank you, Mike. I love you, too. <laughs> well, we're talking about uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, last week, Pastor Don did a fabulous job of setting it up for us, um, talking about how we find our happiness. And he asked us um, very pointedly, are we looking for our happiness in the things of the world, or are we looking for our happiness in the things of God? So we're going to read today in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. If you want to turn there with me, I'll give you a second. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So these qualities, these eight qualities, which are called the Beatitudes, give a picture of the character of the true people of God those who are part of his kingdom and have full blessings of the kingdom to look forward to. Taken together, they give the perfect picture of a disciple of Christ who is heir to his promises. Each calls for a response. Today, we are going to look at the first four Beatitudes, and next week, Pastor Matt will talk to us about the last four. Let me remind you that last week, Pastor Don gave us the definition um, of the word blessed and what the Greek word is. The Greek word um, is makarios, and it means supremely blessed. It literally means beyond happiness. Um, being blessed by God means the experience of joy despite your circumstances. It's the deepest experience of happiness, and it's independent of outward circumstances. The Greek term for blessed and happy is hard for us to understand in our culture today, but it wasn't as difficult for Jesus' audience to understand. Um, our modern idea of happiness is a diluted version of the joy that God meant for us to have. Our idea of happiness is dependence on our circumstances, but God's happiness is dependent on the assurance of God's blessing, not on current circumstances, and it it abides deep within us. It's not a fleeting feeling. Makarios then describes that joy which is serene and untouchable, self-contained, the joy which is completely independent of anything going on in your life, of the changes, of the chaos. It's completely independent of all of that. That's good news, amen? amen. Let's take a look at the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So according to Jesus, happiness is related to some sort of poverty. We normally don't think of happiness being related to poverty. Um, but interestingly enough, though, that he's not talking about material poverty, material wealth. 
Um, he's talking about poverty in your spirits. Being spiritually poor does not being poor does not mean being poor spirited either. I often think of um, Eeyore from the Winnie the Pooh. He's so uh, I know someone just like that. I I, I call her Eeyore actually. Um, but uh, poor spirited people lack drive, have no real motivation to accomplish anything, and they have no enthusiasm for life. This is not what Jesus means by poor in spirit. It also does not mean being down on yourself. Um, doesn't mean thinking you are worth nothing because the truth is Jesus Christ would not have died for you or me if he thought we were worth nothing. Um, what it, it, it's a frame of mind. Um, you could translate it like this. Blessed are those who are so desperately poor in their spiritual resources that they realize that they must have help from outside sources. God, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poverty of spirit is complete absence of pride and self-reliance. It is the consciousness of the fact that we are nothing before God. We will not rely on our ancestry, on our reserves, financial reserves, um, or our education for these things are meaningless in the eyes of God. To be poor in spirit is to have a humble opinion of ourselves, to, to know that we are sinners and that we have not one righteous ounce of anything in us apart from God. It's being willing to be where God places us, to bear what he lays on us, um, to go where he tells us to go, to hear what he tells us to do. We are to be placed in his hands for to be used by him. The poor in spirit is to be vacant of self and waiting for God, to have no confidence in the flesh. Pastor Don talked to us last week about Isaiah, and Isaiah, when he comes into the presence of God, he says, woe is me, for I am, man, am a man of unclean lips. That is being poor in spirit. When Peter uh, saw the Lord, he said, Depart from me, I am a sinful man. That is being poor in spirit. When uh, Saul, before he became Paul, he was very righteous, uh, self-righteous, we should say. He was very spiritually wealthy. Um, and he had the attitude that he's going to go to heaven because he knows all of the commandments. He knows all of the, the law. Um, but then he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and uh, he got a glimpse of the Lord, and he became physically blind, but then he came, became spiritually rich. He could, for the first time, see who he was in the Lord. That is poor in spirit. What do all these examples teach us? Um, they teach us that there has to be an emptying of ourself before we can be filled with God. Let's take a look at the next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This one has kind of always been a little bit hard for me to understand, like what kind of mourning is God talking about? Um, but Jesus, in the, Jesus is using the strongest word for mourning in the Greek New Testament. It means to be well, to lament, to mourn for. Uh, the word was used to describe Jacob's grief when he thought that Joseph was dead. So that was a, why would we, why would we be blessed to mourn um, 
for the dead to mourn for anything. Why, why, why does that resonate with God? Well, I thought about it, and I've discovered that unhappiness does not come from grieving as much as it comes from grieving over the right things. Um, what I mean is there have been times in my lives where I have grieved for things that I want but don't necessarily need, things that, that I, that's the key word, that I want, things that, um, that don't have anything to do with my spiritual life, but I'm grieved for the fact that I can't have them or I can't have my way or I, I can't um, have that house or that car. And, you know, we may laugh about that, but there are times that we grieve over things that we can't have. And that's not the kind of, of mourning that God is talking about here. Uh, a few years ago... I don't even know how many years. Um, seems like I'm just getting older and older by the minute. But we, uh, we had a couple uh, named Mary and Jerry Price that, that came to this church. Um, and I didn't know them very well. I had met them a few times. They, went to, they were friends of Nita's. They worked with Nita Copley. And um, I got a phone call uh, one day. I remember exactly what I was doing. I had just gotten my nails done, and I was about to drive out of the parking lot from the nail place. And uh, my friend Maggie called me, and she said, did you hear about Jerry Price? And I said, I did not. And she said, he, they've just diagnosed with him, him with cancer, and he has only about three weeks to live. Well, he's, they were young, and she had just found out she was pregnant. And I didn't know these people. Like I said, I only met them a couple times, but I'm telling you what, I started mourning. I could not leave that parking lot for what seems like forever because I was just mourning, and I just felt like God wanted something from me in the situation, but I wasn't sure what it was. Well, um, I got back home, and, and I called Nita, and I called, I think I actually called Chet, and I said, I feel like the Lord wants us to have a healing service for Jerry. I did not, I wasn't a pastor then, I, I hadn't gotten my call yet, and uh, it was something that I wasn't used to, healing services, and um, and he said, well, I just don't know what they're going to think about this. They were, they were kind of new Christians. They were kind of testing out the waters a little bit. And uh, he said, I just don't know what Jerry's going to think about that. So I, I called Pastor Jeffrey, and he said, if you're feeling like the Lord wants you to do that, then we need to move forward with it. So I called Jerry. He had no idea who I was. And I said, you're probably going to think this is weird, but um, I feel like the Lord wants us to have a healing service for you. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, three weeks ago, I would have thought you were weird. But now I say, let's do it. So it's just, I'm telling you, I just had a mourning for him. And we had the healing service, and the Lord blessed him um, with longer than three weeks. He lived a, about a year after his baby was born. He got to see his baby born. But I'm telling you, that whole time, um, from the time I found out he was sick until the time that he passed away, I just had this mourning for, for him and for his spiritual life. And I'm happy to tell you that before he died, he found peace with his dad and peace with the Lord, and so did his wife. So so that's great. So that's nothing that I did on my own. That's the spiritual kind of mourning that God is talking about. We're to mourn the things of, of, this, of his world, the lost, the, the brokenhearted. That's what the kind of mourning that God is talking about here, that Jesus is talking about. Um, I think that Jesus gives us a clue about what else it, it is in the statement that he made to the woman who was weeping um, as they watched him carry the cross up onto Calvary. Uh, Luke 23, 28 says, um, 
Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and weep for your children. And I think the message is this. If you're going to weep, weep for the things that God weeps for. Weep for the things that Christ, that makes Christ weep. Happy are those who mourn what God mourns. And what does God mourn? We said the lost, the broken, the confused of the world that he created so full of beauty and so full of love. He weeps over those who refuse to acknowledge their sin. He weeps over those who ignore the plight of their fellow man and their fellow Christians. He weeps over the things which stand in the way of the kingdom of God. And so Christ doesn't say that we will always be comforted when we grieve, but what he says is we will always be comforted when we grieve for the right things, for the right things for the, the kingdom of God. Being sin, oppression, the lost. Let's look at blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does the word meek mean? We won't get far in understanding the word meek in our modern-day dictionaries, but about 350 years ago, it used to mean a lot more. It, uh, it doesn't mean weakness, cowardice, or spiritedness, spiritlessness. It means it used to be described... Um, it used to describe colts and other animals whose naturally wild spirits were broken by a trainer so they could do useful work. So as a human attitude, it meant those who have a spirit of gentleness and self-control, free from malice and free from a condescending spirit. The meek do not exploit and oppress others. They are not given to vengeance and vendettas. They are not violent. They do not try to seize power. For their own ends. Meekness is often mistaken for pass passivity. Did I say that right? Passivity. And sort of an inferior complex. But the basic element of meekness is the full and complete possession of all the faculties of one's being and inner mastery. This does not mean that, uh, that the weak are ineffective in life. Meekness is quite compatible with great strength, actually, and great dignity. Um, but it's a strength that declines to dominate. Well, who are the meek? The answer is found in Psalms 37, 3 through 11. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. What David is calling us here to is to take, to take delight in the Lord and commit everything we have in, to him. But how do we do this? To take delight in the Lord, we must know him better. We must know what makes him happy. We must know um, who he, what his character is. Knowledge of his love for us will indeed give us delight. 
To commit ourselves to the Lord means entrusting everything to him. Our lives, our families, our jobs, our possessions, everything. We must submit everything to his control and guidance. To commit ourselves to the Lord means to trust in him, believing that he can care for us better than we can care for ourselves. We should be willing to wait patiently for him to work out what is best for us. That's hard to do sometimes. All right, the last beatitude we're going to discuss today is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they should be filled. The image of hunger and thirst compares this drive for righteousness with the deepest needs that we, the deepest basic human needs that we have. Hunger and thirst constantly cry out to be filled. They cry out to be satisfied. It's just the way we were made. Jesus is speaking here of an intense longing of righteousness. He is not pointing his hearers to occasional times of doing what is right, but a a compassionate concern for what is right. In this world, we are all hungering for something. We're all thirsting for something. The rich fool hungered for a life of ease. King Nebuchadnezzar hungered for fame. Some of us might hunger and thirst for wealth. Some of us might hunger and thirst for material possessions. Some of us might hunger for status. I want us to to take a minute and think about what the state of our hearts are this morning, what the state of of what we're what we're seeking happiness in. Um, are we pursuing pursuing the things of the world, the things of God, or are we pursuing things that make us happy um, in God? Now, don't get me wrong, puppies they they make us happy, and that's not wrong. Marriage. Make or weddings, let's say, make us happy, and that's not wrong. I'm just kidding. Marriage makes us happy too. Um, babies, pregnancy, things like that—they make us happy, and those things are not wrong. That's just, so don't so don't hear me wrong. Those things are good, and God wants us to be happy in those things. What I'm saying is, we need to transcend past those things. We need to be happy in the things of the Lord. So take a minute. Um, Don asked you to do this last week, and I, and I want to ask you to do it again. Um, think about what you are pursuing your happiness in right now. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you a couple minutes. Lisa, you can come on up. You know, the things of this world are fleeting. They're, um, they can't sustain us. The word blessedness is a constant state of joy despite our circumstances. It comes when we pursue God and the things of God, and then we pursue things that we think will make us happy. I'm just asking you this morning, I'm asking myself this too. Are you pursuing happiness, your happiness, outside of the things of God and more than you're actually pursuing God? I'd like everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads. 
No one looking around. I want to be really, really honest with you this morning. I'd like to say that I'm pursuing my happiness in the things of God every waking minute. But when I'm really honest and I look at my life, I'd have to tell you that there are more seasons and longer seasons in my life where I'm honestly pursuing happiness in the things of this world. And I want that to change. And if you relate to me and you are really being honest and you say, you know what? I'm off track, God. I'm off. My priorities are wrong. I want, I want to pursue you more than anything else. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. If that is you today, would you just look up? I'd like to pray for you. See you, I see you, see you, see you, I see you, see you, I 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 see you. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. God, we come to you today, Lord. And we thank you that you want us to find joy in the things that you've created in this world, Lord. That you want us to be joyful in the things that you've blessed us with. And all good things are from you, God. So we take no shame in the fact that we find happiness in the things that you've blessed us with. But God, what you've called us to is something deeper than that, Lord. To be a true follower of you, to have your character, God, then we must empty ourselves out and we must let you fill us. God, I confess to you today that in my busyness, that I forget to do this. That I forget to let you guide and let you lead and I try to do it in my own strength. Lord, that's pride. I ask you to forgive me because I have nothing, nothing to offer you. God, I thank you that you make me righteous just because you love me and because your son died for me, Lord. I thank you for that sacrifice, that's huge sacrifice, God, so that I could be made righteous in your sight. God, I don't want to take advantage of that. I want to be like you. God, when we leave here, the next five minutes, the next 20 minutes, and the next hour, the next week, we're going to forget again. Would you bring us back to you every single time? God, I pray for those who are seeking their happiness in, in alcohol, in drugs, not just in this place, but the people that we know, our loved ones, Lord. God, would you show them that there's no happiness there, that happiness is just comes from you, Lord. You don't promise that all of our days will be happy, you don't promise us that, but you promise the joy that comes no matter what our circumstances are. God, that's the kind of happiness we want. God, I pray for those who, who are seeking you in relationships. 
seeking you in outside uh, of their of their own marriage, seeking you um, in the flesh, God. I've been there. God, would you fill those people with your presence and your spirit? Would you show them the route to true happiness is in you? God, would you fill the ones who feel like they're nothing, like they're not worthy, that they can't even seek the things of your kingdom to make them happy because they're not worthy? God, would you show them that you died just for them this morning? God, I want my happiness to be in you. I don't want my happiness to be in my accomplishments. I don't want my happiness to be in in the material things that you blessed me with. I don't want my happiness to be in my friends. God, all those things, the friends, the, the, uh, the homes that you provided us, the cars, the, the children, all of those things are good and we thank you for those. But God, would you help us to grow? Would this be a church that is brokenhearted for the things that you're brokenhearted for, God? We, have a, we live in a community of lost people. God, would you help us to mourn for them? Would you help us to, to quit mourning for our own problems, for our own unhappiness, for our own unsatisfaction, dissatisfaction? God, get our eyes off of ourselves and help us to, to see those who really need you. Give us eyes to see things the way you see. God, give us a thirst and a hunger for the things of your kingdom. Help us not to thirst and hunger for things outside of your kingdom, for things that will harm us, that might bring us temporary satisfaction, but the end they just leave us more empty. God, would you do something that only you can do? God, I want to literally hunger and thirst for you. I want that drive, that need to, to know you at a deeper level to seek you every minute to know that you're in control God I pray that for my friends Lord as Easter approaches and we're thinking about church services and we have an idea to go out into the community on Saturday night and, and actually have a worship service there. God, would you break our heart for the people that might attend that? Would you help us to rise up as a community of believers and attend it, volunteer at it, talk to people? God, help us to become outward focused. Help us to be united as a body of believers so that we can reach the lost. God, there are so many people out there that are hurting, that are lonely, that just need somebody to tell them about you. Would you help us to be bold in our faith? And the only way we can do that is if we know you. If we know what makes you happy, what makes you sad, if we know 
and accept the fact that you love us unconditionally. God, we thank you for your grace today. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, I ask that you would go before us this week, Lord, that we would be so aware of our hunger and our thirst for you, that we would pay special attention to it, Lord, and that you would fill us with your presence. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.